Okay, without further ado, Cheryl, thank you very much. Some of you is, oh, hands up if you was here the last time Cheryl was here six years ago. Again, I was so, uh, a lot has changed. We went through this thing, I'm not sure if you, you can mind, this thing called a pandemic, so in, in the middle of it, and I just want to thank you, Cheryl, for you're a shining light within Elam in Scotland. Everybody's got great things to say about Cheryl Novi and the family. And so when she was coming back our, for a few weeks after our Elam summit and an email went out, we don't nobody host Cheryl. It'll be great to hear Cheryl up with us. But I want to honor you for being a missionary. It's Pentecost Sunday where the Holy Spirit would be given to take the message, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, and I can that you're a Greenock quine, but now you're in Indonesia serving the Lord here, and to think that while you were up in Scotland getting a break, meeting your lovely parents, that you would jump in a car and you would drive up to the northeast four or five hours in a car to be with us to hear service. I want to honor you and say thank you. Thanks for traveling. And I pray that your time here is blessed, and hopefully we can bless you as well. But that's enough me. Let's hear it for Cheryl as she comes and shares. Thank you very much. That was quite a, a welcome. Uh, it's a great honor for me to be here. Excuse the voice, I've lost it. It's just coming back again, so it might cut out on me a little bit. But yes, yeah, so my name's Cheryl. Cheryl Black was my maiden name, and that's my wee ma, ma and pa down here. And we're from a village called Kilmacombe in the outskirts of Greenock, but Went to school and church in Greenock. So I'm a Greenock lass and I'm now an Indonesian gadis. So I'll tell you a little bit about myself first for those of you that don't know me. I was very, very um, fortunate to grow up in a very strong Christian family. And so I was saved at a very young age and I've always been taught the word of God and the importance of having Jesus as king in your life. So it's always been a big thing for me. It's always been a priority. And God called me when I was about 14 years old. I don't know if they still have them, but it was spring harvest, it was big um, events, but it would be down in Butlin's holiday camp at the time. And it's where all the young people would go. And it was my first time um, being in such an environment. There's so many young people who were just so excited for Jesus. It blew me away. And at one of these meetings, I just felt God saying, Cheryl, you're going to be a missionary. And um, that was, it was so audible, it was so noticeable that I never, ever forgot it. But I didn't know what to do with it, so I did nothing. Just buried my head in the sand and I didn't do anything about it for 14 years. Takes me a wee while to get going. But I always felt as if God had something. So I left school, I was involved in Sunday school, I did the youth group, I did the youth camps down at Oakenfoyle Camp, the Elam camps have been there as well. That's on our farmland. Sorry, we are farmers, I should have said that. <clears throat> the voice is going, it's been fine yesterday and it's going. Anyway, um, a long story short, I did some things. I did a mission trip to China when I was 21 and that completely ruined me for the ordinary. I just felt as if this is the kind of thing. I love doing this. This is the excitement, the adventure. The drama, we were smuggling Bibles into China from Hong Kong. I had them up my jukes, I had them in my bag, I had wherever I wore a skirt with pockets and I could get wee Bibles hidden in the pockets and you just had to walk slowly because the sway would build up. 
and you'd hear the pat of the books on the, the thighs. But that's when God showed me that he was a God of miracles. The number of times we took it through, it was like going through an airport security, you put your bags on the scanner and they're sitting watching the images and my bag would be full of Bibles. And we used to pray, God, make the Bibles disappear, blind their eyes. And you would, they, they would, men would be sitting intently watching the screen and they wouldn't see anything and we'd be able to get our Bibles through. So that's when I realized that God could do amazing, big things for little wee me. So I, long story short, I worked normal jobs for 10 years in Scotland. But I always felt as if, God, I know you've got more for me than this. I had a house, I had a car, I had a pension, full-time permanent position. I was set up for life if I wanted. I was never satisfied. I felt as if there was something more. So one day I sent off a couple of emails to the only two mission groups I could think of. And one of them was YWAM, Youth with a Mission. And they wrote back a big long email telling me all about their discipleship training school. And it set my heart on fire. I thought, this is it. They give you the teaching, they give you the application, and they walk with you while they take you through to do uh, outreach. And they take you on an outreach where you go to a different country and you minister to people there. So within a month of sending that email, I had handed in my notice at work, sold my car, rented out my house, dumped the boyfriend, and I was on a plane all the way over to Australia. <laughs> he didn't mind. All the way to Australia to do this six-month course. And people were saying, Cheryl, what are you going to do after it? And I was like, I don't know. And they're like, you are off your head. You're giving up this job and this wee life. And I says, well, I just feel as if God just wants me to be obedient, just to step out in faith, just like stepping off the edge of a cliff. Didn't know what was underneath me, but I knew I had to make that step and God would bring the ground up to meet me. And he did. So I went and did this course and it was life changing. God gave me the, the tools I needed to do what I was going to be doing next. And I was trusting that he would reveal to me when I made that step, he would reveal what the next steps were. So during my DTS, he started to put Indonesia in my heart. Who knows where Indonesia is? Hands up. Don't be shy. Okay, so who doesn't know where Indonesia is? Who couldn't point to it right away in a map? Me too. Okay, so the first thing I went when I heard Indonesia, we had a big map of the world on the wall and I went away up and I was right, I'm here. And I looked all the way across. It's just up above and to the left of Australia. I said, like, right, that's where it is, okay. Right, okay, God wants me to go there. Then I found out it was full of Muslims. And I went, oh, no, 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 God, I don't want to go there. I'm scared of these people. They're quite intimidating. And God was like, no, I want you to go there. So I tested them because I wasn't too convinced. And um, I made them really kind of prove it to me that that's where I was to go. And one of the times, our outreach, we went from Australia, we get sent to South Africa. And that's where I did my three-month practical in Perth, in Durban, South Africa. And one of the things we're doing one day was beach ministry. So not street ministry, but beach ministry. So lovely white sandy beaches, just like here. We'd walk along the promenade, asking God who we're to talk to. And so we'd be praying for people, talking to them, sharing with them. And one day there was a wee Muslim girl there with her full burqa on, the full black shebang. 
And God said, go and talk to her. No. <laughs> Cheryl, go and talk to her. No, Lord, she's scary. Cheryl, go and talk to her. No. Three times I said no to Lord. And he's got a bit of a sense of humor because he brought that wee girl to come and talk to me. And I, I kind of was too scared to move. But after talking, I realized she's just a wee lassie, the same as me. She just talks normal. She's got the same insecurities. She's got the same hopes, the same dreams. She's just a wee normal person. And it broke down the last barrier I had about going to Indonesia. So after that, I said, okay, God, I'll go. So I went back home, came back home to Scotland for three months. And then I went out to Indonesia for two years, two-year commitment. That was now 18 years ago. So when I went out, I was thrown in the deep end. I went and lived with a little widow that couldn't speak a word of English. I couldn't speak a word of Indonesian. And we're thrown together. You can imagine it was very much sign language and eat and fool and no. <laughs> but within a weekend, I could speak a little. I'd learned two pages worth of notes of vocabulary. And then I would go to school in the morning and I would find my way home a different route every day and just talk to whoever was in my way. That's when I learned a cultural thing. Like they would say, Mampir, Mampir, which is, come in, come in. I thought they were serious. I went in, sat in their house, and it was actually just like, hello. <laughs> so you, I just seen the shock in their face one time, and I thought, I don't think I was supposed to actually take them up on the offer. <laughs> but they're a lovely, friendly people, and they welcome me into their homes. They welcome me into their hearts. And I fell in love with them. I really enjoyed working with them and being with them. And I really felt as if Indonesia was a place where God wanted me to be. But you can only study or get a visa for two years there. So as the two years were coming to a close, I said, God, how can I stay here? I really feel as if there's, this is where you want me to be. But how can I stay here on a long-term basis? Do I have to teach? Please no. Do I have to do business? I don't have a business head. God, can you provide the answer? Can you show me what you want me to do? And then I just tapped on at the end of the prayer and I says, God, can you tell me if I'm ever going to get married or not? I don't mind if I'm not, but can you just tell me so I don't think about it all the time and I'm not checking out any new person and think, is it him, is it him? Yes. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. I had a few boyfriends in the past, but I had committed to God on my DTS. I said, God, I'm not going to date again till I know it's the man I'm going to marry. And so God introduced me to someone. YWAM was celebrating 25 years in Indonesia. And we had a big celebration. And myself and my leader went, because we both had the, the best Indonesian vocabulary or language skill at that point. Turned out it was the founder of YWAM, Lauren Cunningham. He's a giant of the faith. He was there. And Tom Hallis and all these big names. And they were coming and they were teaching at this weekend and it was fantastic. So it was a really enriching weekend. And um, there was, I was chatting to a guy and I was asking what he was doing. He says, oh, I work at a children's home. And that got my ears pricked up right away. I was like, really, tell me more. So I kind of milked him of all the information he had. And he says, if you want to know more, go and speak to my leader. I said, sure, who's your leader? And he pointed to the guy that had been leading the worship earlier, who I'd noticed because he was the only tall, muscular Indonesian I'd seen in the whole two years been out there. And he said, it's that guy over there. So I went all up and introduced myself. And um, 
talked the socks off of him and he got fed up talking to me and he says, if you want to know more, just come and spend some time with us. Spend a couple of nights at a children's home. So I did and I fell in love. Not with him, but with all the kids. And I just felt as if this is it. This is where I belong. I've always had a heart for children. Ever since I was still a kid myself, I was taken to see a baby in the church. I would be first up there. I had a wee peek at him earlier. I'd be first up there saying, can I get a wee hold? And I was always looking after babies and young kids. Love it. So long story short, but within a very short nine months of meeting this guy, we were married. So his name's Nofi. We've now been married for 16 years, and together we run this children's home. So when I married him, I became mum to 29 children. And I say that's easy, but the, the marriage bit was a hard bit for the first few years. <laughs> but we're all right, we've managed 16 years now. So that was a bit rather long intro, but I'll tell you, I just want to show you a wee bit about our, our ministry and what's going on and give you a little bit of an update. So this is a picture of the front of our house. It in itself is an answer to prayer because when we were here getting married, I made him come and wear a, a kilt, by the way. Condition of marriage, I had to wear a kilt. Um, but when we were here, God had spoke to us about praying for land. And at that point, we didn't have enough money to pay the school fees and the food bills on a regular basis. We didn't have a regular income that was enough to cover everything. But God spoke to us about praying for land. And we came back from our honeymoon through Scotland before going home and we were gifted enough money to be able to buy a bit of land in Indonesia. And then over the years we prayed and we fundraised and we saved and we were able to build this house. So for over 10 years, King's Kids Children's Home had been living in rented accommodation. There was never enough toilets. There was never enough bedrooms. We would have to make, make do so we'd have kids sleeping on the stairs, literally like the landing. We'd make a couple of wee bunk beds for the little kids and a wee curtain to cover them off. We'd be using the loft space. It used to be used for birds' nests. We'd put the girls up there and have it all kind of, we'd clean it, obviously. So our heart and our dream was just to provide a home that was worthy of these kids. We don't want them growing up thinking that they are not worth it and that they don't deserve the best. So our heart was to provide them with a good, stable, safe home that they could thrive in. And so God answered our prayer. 2015, we finished this building, and it's got 10 bedrooms upstairs, <clears throat> five in the boys' corridor, five in the girls' corridor. And downstairs, there's a, a play area, there's a dining room, a living room, laundry area, and a wee park bit out the back. So it's absolutely wonderful. And that's some of the kids that you can see just at the bottom, we're sitting outside. Can you turn to the next slide, please? Okay, so I don't think you're going to see that, but that's me just introducing myself and my husband, Nofi. That was a bunch of flowers I got for my 16th anniversary. It took me about 16 years to train him to always give me flowers on an anniversary, but he's got there now. And we have been blessed with two beautiful children, Kayla, who's 13, and my son, Judah, who is now 11. And they'll be coming over to join me with my husband, middle of June they are coming over when the school holidays start and so we run this children's home and at present we have got 27 kids in with us a range of ages from two up to 22 so we've got the little toddlers we've got the 
nursery kids. We've got primary, high school, and all the way up. And I think the next slide shows us that. I'm sorry, my voice is getting a bit dry. I'm going to get a quick drink. So there you can see the pictures of the children. So that's all the different age groups they're in. We have got kids from all the different islands of Indonesia. Indonesia is made up of 17,000 different islands. About 3,000 of them are occupied. And we have got kids from all the major islands bar one. So we've got Papua, we've got Sumba, Ambon, Kalimantan, uh, Ambon, I said Ambon, Madura, and Java. Yeah. So they're from a mix. They all speak different languages, but luckily Indonesian is the universal language for Indonesia. But they all have their own culture. They all have their own um, mother tongue. And so it's a, an interesting time sometimes when they're, they're clashing, when they're meeting together, and you just see the different characteristics coming out. But that's what makes it all fun. Next slide, please. So this is our big family. This was Christmas time. So my heart is always to give each child and each of our staff members a present at Christmas. So you can tell it's no small feat. This year there was over 50 presents that I wrapped. It took me three days to wrap all the presents and they were unwrapped within five seconds. And I was just like, that was all my hard work. <laughs> but they all got a, a gift of something new that shows them that they're loved and that they're thought about. And that's something that people from, from Scotland, they send money to help buy the kids like a gift at Christmas or to put on a little meal. We, we make them a big special meal and we have a, a Thanksgiving service and we're just giving God the glory because we know it's only through his power and his grace that we can do what we do. And so we are his arms and legs in Indonesia. Next slide, please. Yeah, you're maybe wondering what we do on a daily basis. Well, we get up at 5 a.m. Does anyone here get up at 5? Oh, there you go. Two, well done. Three? Okay, 5 a.m. is our morning devotions. We're actually up at 4.45. She's got to brush her teeth first. Five o'clock, we, we dedicate the day to the Lord. We have a little devotional, and then the kids get showered and ready, and they're off to school. The cars leave about 6.15 in the morning for the school runs. So there's Three school runs in the morning before seven o'clock. It's mental. And then there's about seven school runs picking them all back because they all finish at different times. So that in itself is a full-time job. So we have a scheduled day. They come back from school. They have their lunch. They'll go for a wee nap. And then there's a little work duty at four o'clock, 3.34 when they get up. And then it's free time where it can be football, it can be basketball, it can be badminton. Sometimes we'll go swimming. We'll have little prayer groups. We'll have group activities. I'll take the teenagers out for a coffee, take the kids out for an ice cream or something like that. We kind of try and vary it. So we keep them busy and survive until dinner time. And then they have their dinner. Then it's 7 o'clock till 8.30 is study time. Mandatory, no excuses. They've got to spend an hour and a half on their schoolwork. And then... At 8.30 till 9, it's evening devotions, and then it's bed. So at 9 o'clock, it's the, the hour I wait for. 9 o'clock, there's peace and quiet. <laughs> so that's what we do on a, on a daily basis, Monday to Saturday. And then Sunday, they go to church and Sunday school. Next slide, please. 
Okay, so we, since I was last here, we have birthed a new ministry. So we have our children's home, and that's our main focus. But we now have a single mum's home. And that came from having women come to us in trouble, single, pregnant, or with a baby, but no support, no partner, no family, being ostracized from their community because they were unmarried mothers and they had nowhere to go. And so in the past, we would take their children to help them, which did help them, but it was breaking the bond between a mum and a baby, which broke my heart. And it, the one that got me is when I accepted a baby, when I had a baby myself, I just thought, it's not right. So we now take in vulnerable young women and their children and we help them to get back on their feet. We provide them a safe place to grow as an individual, to learn how to be a mother. And I'm full of good advice if they want to ask. I'll help them to, to kind of bond with their children. Now, some of them have these children through abuse and they've been, um, yeah, they've been attacked, they've got pregnant. And so they didn't even want their babies because it just reminded them of the trauma. And so it's one girl in particular. She came to me when she was eight months pregnant. And uh, I took her in. And she was so traumatized, she couldn't speak to me. She wouldn't look me in the eye. If I tried to hug her, she would stand stiff as a board and just tilt her head to show that she was accepting the hug. And that's as much as I'd get from her. And she has lived with me now for 10 years. And I would never get anything more than that from her. So after a few years of opening this single mum's home, um, sorry, we had them living with us in the children's home for a few years. After a while, just in the past couple of years, we rented another house and we started this single mum's home. And so I put this girl and another two that I had living with me and their children in there. And we had another three come and join us. So we had six mums and their kids and we took them through a discipleship training course, DTS, which is what I had done through YWAM. <coughs> Voice is not holding up, excuse me. And it was amazing to see what God did in these ladies' lives. So this girl, Martin, she got complete freedom and restoration. And the first sign I got, I was sitting chatting to the, the girls, they were all standing in front of me, and someone came up and hugged me from behind. And I looked, I had all my huggers were in front of me. And so I turned to see who this was, and it was Martin. And I couldn't believe it. She's never hugged me in the 10 years she's been living with me. She didn't, well, eight, I guess, at that point. And I was like, oh, hello. And I pulled her in. And she says, Mom, can I talk to you? And I said, of course you can. First time she's ever asked to talk to me. She goes, can, we, can I come in the walk with you? Well, I do these two-hour walks at night time or evening, afternoon, late afternoon. Um, and I'll go walking up over the hills, so it's a, a decent hike. I'm thinking two hours with a lassie at Disney chat is going to be hard work. I mean, I can talk, but two hours with somebody at Disney respond is hard going. But of course, I said, yeah, of course you can come, that'll be great. And I couldn't get a word in ageways. The whole two hours she talked and talked and talked, just giving glory to God, how he'd broken the trauma in her life. He'd healed her. He'd restored her relationship with her little girl. And she just had this pure love for her daughter. She could look at her without remembering the trauma. She, she couldn't handle the color red. 
because the attacker had worn a red T-shirt when he attacked her. And so if I wore red, she wouldn't look at me. If she had to talk to me, she would talk to the wall if I'm standing there. She wouldn't even look in my direction. But God taught her through how the Israelites had the Passover lamb and how the blood was on the doorpost. And he showed, he gave her her own revelation that that blood is life and it's freedom. And he told, said, that's for you too. And so she was able to accept a gift of a red dress or a red t-shirt that someone had wanted to give her. And she told them to go away. She said, can you bring that back and give it to me now? She was testing to see if it was real. And she was able to take it and wear it. And now she's wearing red every second day. So she's walking in her freedom. She's full of the joy of the Lord. And she's just a completely different girl. And another lady that had been living with us, she'd been a slave. So they still have slaves in the island of Sumba. And she had escaped. So YWAMers had helped her to get off the island with her little one-year-old daughter. Because that daughter would have been used for us to become a slave for the master's children. And as a slave, you get no rights. Your body's not your own. So her master would frequently use her. His friends would use her to the point that she thought she was in love with her master's friends. It's a kind of Stockholm syndrome. And she got pregnant, but she had no idea what it meant. She had no education, didn't have a clue what was happening to her body. But when she realized this would happen to her daughter, she wanted better for her. So some YWAMers helped to get her, smuggle her off the island. She can never go back because she'll be taken back into it because she's not got a right to be herself. She came to live with us and her daughter as well came to live with us. She's always had a slave mentality. She's never felt as if she's good enough for anyone or that she's got a right to speak. So I would call her, as a term of respect, the word kak, K-A-K. It means big brother or sister or someone that you look up to. So my staff will call me kak, also because I'm older than them. But she's a little bit younger than me, but I would call her cat. And my way, that was a subtle way to kind of just show her that she has got standing in my eyes, that she's on a level. But she's a wee nag, an absolute terrible nag, right? She's a great worker, but she nags the, the life out of you, or out of the kids. And so she wasn't easily liked and with, it was hard. She went on this DTS and God met with her and showed her that he loved her. She was his daughter. She had standing in his eyes that she was important. She was loved. And he gave her joy. So I've never heard her laugh so much in all her, my life with her. And she now laughs and the nagging's gone. It's absolutely amazing. She's just a totally different person. And she's come back and she's working again with us. And it, it's now a joy to have her. So that's just a quick example of two lives that have been changed through doing the DTS. And these six mums, two of them are working in the children's home with me. Two of them are now staying on in that house and they're becoming staff. And they're now accepting other young people, male or female, whoever needs help. And so we are currently running our, our second DTS. And we've got seven students in at this point and their lives are being changed. And I think that's in the next slide. Oh, sorry, it's that one. So this one is the staff and their children. So it's very much a family-orientated ministry. The kids are not pushed off to the side, but they're very much involved in everyday part of the life. 
So that's the staff and a few of their kids. And then that's a group picture that's got the students and the staff. And there's even people that have gone through Bible college that are wanting to come and sit in in the teaching because they're, they're realizing that there's so much more that they don't get with all the high theological teaching. But this is real, get your teeth in, meaty stuff that's practical for everyday living. So they're experiencing real changes. Next slide, please. Okay, gift gear change. So the children's, the single mum's home, where I, I rented a house for two years, and uh, just a few weeks before I was due to come over here, one of the staff came and said, Cheryl, part of the roof's fallen in. I was like, right. Gave him my camera, my phone. I says, go and take some pictures, because I couldn't be bothered crawling up to all the wee spaces where there would be damage. And he came back with about 20 pictures showing me all this damage in different areas. And I just thought, oh, okay, that's not a quick fix. So I text the owner and I said, this, this is your, the state of the house. And she wrote back and said, okay, thank you. In light of that, I won't renew your contract. And I said, that's fine. That's what I was deciding as well. And then the penny dropped. I need to find a house for 12 people, like now. And there's going to be another eight comings, a house that can fit 20 people. And that's not an easy feat. So I scoured the streets of my town, the, the area that, that I wanted us to be in. And I even phoned a couple of property agents. And they're saying, okay, what's your requirements? And I'm saying a house with about eight bedrooms with a budget of four million. Now that sounds grand, doesn't it? But four million is only about two grand, 2,000 pounds. And they just looked at me as if I had ears in my head. And they're like, 40 million for an eight-bedroom house in this area? And I said, yeah. And they're like, mm, don't ever see that. And I said, well, just have a wee look. Let me know what you've got. And if it's a wee bit more, I'll speak to the owner and see if I can work a deal. So I was looking at all these houses, and nothing was below 75. So it was already double before even start negotiations. They would be asking for two to three years up front just to lock in the contract and so we're talking about a lot of money and so it was starting to get a wee bit desperate and I just said I was praying I says God you need to come through for us here you need to provide something and then I get word of this house it was only 50 million I thought right that's we're getting there so I went to see it and it was an absolute shambles needed a lot of work done it'd been empty for a long time but it had a bit of potential so I negotiated I get the price down to 43 it was about two, two and a half grand. I was like, right, okay. And they would freeze the price for six years. I thought, you're not going to get better than that. I said, right, that's good. And I said to Nofi, can I tell her as I go? And he's like, just wait, wait a wee minute. I'm not too sure. It feels as if God's got something here. And I was like, that is God having something. It's not going to get better than that. So I'm a bit of a bully to my husband when I want to be. <laughs> so I got my way and he said, are you all right then? And uh, I, phoned, I was on the phone to the lady at 10 o'clock at night. And I said, right, it's a deal. We'll take it. And she was going to give me the first month free as well to do renovations. So it was an ideal situation, I thought. The next morning, I didn't even get to enjoy it that long. The next morning, one of my older boys phoned and he says, Mum, remember I was telling you about my friend whose parents had a house? And I said, aye, it only had three bedrooms. And he said, yeah, they'll give it to us for 12 million. I said, you're joking. <laughs> so I was happy at this 43. This one is 12. 
So we went to see it. And off he's sitting going, I told you so. You were just going in logic and I knew God had something. I was like, right, honey, you're right. So we went to see this house. And it did only have three bedrooms. But it was a huge, big space. And it had this upstairs. It was wooden floors, like in a dance floor almost. But beautiful, really well made. It was a westerner that made it. And it was all stones and hardwood. The kind of wood that they used to make boats, I was told. It doesn't rot. It can get termites. And so I said, this is an amazing house. I love it. I said, I've actually walked past it many a time and commented on how good it is. I said, um, could we do some alterations? Could I put up some partitions and make some new bedrooms? And she's like, well, what are you talking about? And I said, well, downstairs, I could get two bedrooms here in this loft space. In fact, yeah. So that's downstairs, the bottom corner. It was a massive big space with two pillars in the middle. So I've cordoned it off there and put two bedrooms. And then upstairs, they had this big space. You can see the two squares. I split them and made two bedrooms. And upstairs, it was an open balcony. Don't know what the function was, but it was cool. So I was able to partition that off, make a big bedroom. So right away, I got five new bedrooms and plans to do a few more. So she said, yes, I could do whatever we wanted. And I said, that's brilliant. And then her husband said, how long would you like to rent it for? And Nofi says, four years. And I was like, no, that price, we're not going to get better than that. Do six at least. And the man said, if you do six years, I'll give you another discount. We'll give you it for 10 million a year. So 60 million for six years. That works out at 540 pounds a year. How good is that for this massive big mansion? So God is good. God provided in ways that are way above our expectations. I mean, I was thinking 40 million would be an amazing discount. And he gave me it for, for just 10 million a year. And so my last few weeks in Indonesia were being um, cleaning out dust, rust, mold, hence the no throat, the no voice, just the amount of dust that I inhaled. But we just worked like Trojans and got the rooms up with three paid workers. And then I had my, my teenage boys, if they were off school, I had my girls in helping. I had my, my staff in their days off coming to help. And we just all got our sleeves rolled up and get into it. And we're able to really see God doing amazing work. Within these few days, we're able to make it habitable. And then we had a team that came to visit us from in Norway. And I think that's in the next slide. This team came and they were wanting to work with us. It was a DTS. And so they came and we were able to host them there. They were able to sleep there. And they were blown away. They just burst into worship right away when they got up to the top floor in a big open area that will be our classroom. They just broke into worship. And it was big high ceilings, the acoustics were amazing. It was just such a sweet sound. And it was just giving the glory to God because they had heard about the journey and they were just praising God with us. So we're taking teams now and that's an invitation to everyone here. If you ever want to get your youth on fire for God and on fire for missions, take them on a mission trip from the age of 14. That's when God called me. Yeah, most people that are called are called from a very young age. And if you can har harness the enthusiasm of youth and get them on fire, then they're going to keep going. So 
I welcome you if you want to bring a team out any time. You're more than welcome. And we can have you involved with the children's homework, the single mums, with the discipleship training, visiting small churches, encouraging them, sharing, singing, whatever it is you've got to bring. We can make it, we can make, make it work. <clears throat> so this was the team that we had just the two weeks before I came here. So they, they open doors when you get a big group of white people. The whole town stops to take notice and it opens doors that are not normally open to me. That top picture is the mayor of an, a part of an island that's very closed to the gospel. I'm not going to go online. Anyway, I'm not going to tell you the name of the place, but it's closed and it's a hard place to get into. We had an open door. The mayor invited us and he gave us a bus and took us around the island and showed us all the tourist points and provided lunch for us and just was a great host to us. And that's things that, as a wee normal person, individual rather, <laughs> it would never happen. So with this team, we took them around and ministered. And one of the ladies on the team, her niece had sent money for the poor kids of Indonesia. But their time was running to an end. They didn't have time to, to do it. I says, okay, I'll sort it for you. And so I went and bought enough snacks to fill 50 goodie bags. And then my kids donated all my kids, not just my two, clothes that they weren't using anymore, but were still in good condition, or teddies, toys that they weren't using, school bags, whatever was still worthy to be used, we gathered it together. And so we took it to a really poor area, and I took the kids with me. So my kids are from a children's home themselves, <clears throat> are learning that they are blessed, even though they're in a children's home, they're blessed, and they're blessed to be a blessing. And it was allowing them to see that they are so much better off than many others. And they were able to bless this really poor community. And it was lovely just to see them all mingle together. And I've got pictures of the wee three-year-old handing a teddy to another wee three-year-old. And it's absolutely beautiful just to see how it can come full circle. <laughs> and next slide, please. <coughs> I don't think you can see that, can you? I can't even have the glasses on anyway. But how can you be involved? So anytime I go and share, people are always saying, how can we be involved? What can we do to help? The number one thing you can do to help is pray for us. Yeah? We really need prayer support. We need people that are going to stand with us. We are facing all the challenges of everyday life, like you are just in another country with a different culture, different language. We have got all the school issues from preschool right up to university now. All of these issues, we've got kids moving on and going into the work world and finding their feet. So there's all these challenges, the decisions that have to be made. We're making decisions that are affecting children's futures. <clears throat> so we'd really appreciate if you'd stand with us and pray for us, pray for our children that they fall in love with Jesus, that that becomes their most important thing, becomes a priority in life. Pray for our staff, that they will lead and guide these kids to the best of their ability, not leaning on their own strength and God's. Pray for Nofi and I, as the leaders of these two ministries, that we will be wise in our decisions and in how we lead and that we're always putting God first. Um, that was our main thing. The other way you can be involved, as I said earlier, is come and visit us. 
Come as a single, come as a couple, come as a family, come as a little group. I can accommodate you. I've got two rooms in my children's home just now that are empty and set up for visitors. can also have you in the, the single mum's home if there's not a DTS running. We can look after you and give you an amazing taste of Indonesia. And if it helps to sway it, massages in Indonesia are second to none and they only cost about three pounds. Right, so for, mum said the wee hotel, it was £45 for a massage. Uh, £3 for a full body, 90-minute massage. It's second to none. <laughs> that alone it's worth coming for. The coffee, for the coffee drinkers, amazing coffee. Javanese coffee or Sumatra coffee is very nice. So that's another way you can be involved. And uh, another way is if you're interested, you can sponsor a child or you can sponsor a staff member. So all my staff are volunteers. They actually have to pay for the privilege to live with us, to have their head nipped by all these wains. They pay, that covers a little bit of their food and their accommodation, but they don't have anything coming in. So they're living in faith. YWAM is all about living by faith. And so nobody gets a wage, nobody gets a salary, but we're all just trusting God for our needs. And I've been there for 18 years. God's never, ever disappointed us. Amen. God always provides. But if you're interested, come and speak to me at the end. You can sponsor a child. I think maybe in the last slide there's some figures there. Yeah. People also ask what my needs are. I don't like putting this up, but um, for those that like to know it, <clears throat> this is some of the current needs that we have just now. Um, the new house that we're doing a lot of re renovations. We've done a lot. We've still got quite a bit to do. Um, the running cost of the DTS. So we charge the students to come. The equivalent of £200 that's to last them for the first three months. But they all came and very few of them paid. They just didn't have the money. But we didn't, we didn't force them to pay up front. But we're teaching them to trust God. And we're praying that God will provide through one source or the other. And they're also praying. So if you want to be part of their miracle then come and speak to me after. <clears throat> yeah, so staff support, I suggested, could be anything between 20 or 30 a month. School fees are up to 30. So this is another miracle I've had. We, put our, we could put our kids into a free school, but they'd be taught Islam. They'd be bullied for being Christian, and the standard of schooling isn't so good. So we put them into a Catholic school, and it would cost about 20 pounds a month. However, there's a Christian school that's run by a missionary and it's a top-notch school, but it's also top dollar. He charges a lot because there's a lot of rich Chinese, Indonesian people there that have got a lot of money. So he charges this for, it's a very good school. So I, I, I asked him, invited him for a coffee or I went to his office and brought some coffees to sweeten them up. And I said, Paul, I would really like if our ministries could work together. I said, I would love my kids to come to your school. But can I afford it? And he said, what can you afford? So I told him what my prices were, what I paid for each level of school. And he says, right, leave it with me. And so their finance contacted me. And I got it for the prices, or just a little bit more than what I pay. So what his normal entry free fee just to get into the school would be a thousand pounds and I paid 200. 
per child. The monthly fee would be 100 <clears throat> and I pay 30, 35. So God has really provided and opened the door. And so I put four in last year, including my own daughter. She started high school and she hated primary school and she didn't do very well. And it was a constant stress for the two of us. You know what it was like, a mum when the kid's not doing well at school, you've just got this horrible feeling in the pit of your stomach. So for six years I had that and it's gone. She's loving school, she's doing well, her grades are improved and they're teaching everything. They're teaching about how having a good character, building a, a relationship with God. They have chapel time, they have devotions. She's up in the, she's in the worship band taking the morning assembly um, and she's learning, managing myself and yeah, godly character. So it's amazing. So I put four in last year. They've done really well. And this year I've got six going in. And every year the kids are due to go up to a next level school, like from kindergarten to primary or primary to junior, junior to high school. Then I'm going to be moving them in. So you could pray with, all, with us for all these kids as they make the adjustment and that God really gets a hold of their life. Because that's what my heart is, that they'll the school takes them on mission trips as well. Like my wee girl went on a mission trip yesterday for the first time. So they're exposing them to the poverty. They're exposing them to the needs and giving them the chance. They're equipping them to be able to go out and do something. So they're not sitting back thinking, oh, somebody else will do it. But they're saying, why not me? And they're going to be doing it themselves. Anyway, I think I've talked long enough and my voice is just about to cut out on me altogether. So... I would just like to say thank you very much, Kevin, for the opportunity to speak here. It's been an absolute privilege, and it's lovely up here in Fraserburgh, isn't it? I love the east coast of Scotland. I used to come up to Sandend and Macduff when I was a wee girl with my granny and grandpa and stay in a caravan. So I absolutely love it. So thank you very much, and please pray for us. If there's anything you want to ask me at the end, I'll be here. Feel free.